And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation I'm hoping helps your business grow. All right, we got to keep it green and clean, people. And I'm going to get mean if you don't want to do that. It's time. It's 2023. There are too many options and solutions out there for you to run your house, your business, your life, and everything off of green renewable energy. And I've got an expert today that's driving innovation in that space. Before I introduce today's guest, today's episode of Startup Hustles powered by Fullscale.io. Helping, uh, hiring software developers is difficult and Fullscale can help you build a software team quickly and affordably and has the platform to help you manage that team. Go to Fullscale.io to learn more. With me today, I've got Tim Hayden. He is the Chief Development Officer and Co-Founder at scale microgrids. That's a renewable energy and semiconductor manufacturing company. Say that four times real fast, people, because it's a lot. But uh, anyway, straight out of Ridgewood, New Jersey, Tim, welcome to Start a Puzzle. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, you know, let's let's get things started today with a little bit about your backstory and what and what brought you to uh, uh, building solar and clean and renewable energy. Yeah, so uh, you know, I guess if we go back uh, a little a little ways, um, my my first career was I was in the U.S. military. So I went to the Air Force Academy for undergrad, and then spent six years on active duty service. Um, and while I was in the military, the worst job in the military was driving diesel convoys across uh, Iraq and Afghanistan, um, which we needed to do because most of our forward operating bases ran on diesel generators. Um, and so one of the things that um, I was part of looking into uh, while I was in the military was the idea of distributed energy resources. Really, at the time, it was using solar and a different kind of battery than we use today to alleviate the need for uh, diesel. And um, that kind of got me on this path of thinking about distributed energy, solar, batteries, uh, things like that. Um, and once I got out of the military, uh, went and uh, worked for uh, one of my best friends from growing up um, and his father at a family uh, generator company, um, which uh, subsequently a few years later, we, we spun out scale from and we've been working on that ever since. So that's the real uh, short, dirty version of the Genesis story here. Yeah, well, the clean, the clean version of it, I guess, maybe. But yeah, for yeah. Sure. So- I'm curious when you were driving. So I own a small hobby farm like south of Kansas City. I just uh, bought it a couple months ago, and I, and one of the things that I'm working on is making it sustainable. You know, yeah. and 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 you know, it's like it's not true off grid, like in the middle. I didn't have to like carve a road or anything. But you know, I, I've I've been experimenting with solar power. I bought some some portable batteries and solar generators and. And, you know, it's really opened my eyes to a lot of it because I realized, well, first off, I realized immediately how much surface space you need to generate like 100 watts. And then obviously the storage of it. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm 
working on, you know, replacing my roof and getting solar panels out there and stuff like that. But, it, you know, one of the things that's been challenging and, you know, still here in 2023, and I mentioned there is a lot of accessibility to this stuff. And then there also is a lack of it um, in, in some regards. You know, I have had a hard time finding like electric things or accessibility to some, some of it, you know, that's a little bit different than what you guys do. You guys are more on the commercial side of things and manufacturing things at large scale, right? Yeah, that's right. And so, um, look, I think the, the general way to think about this, I think maybe the one thing that everyone should know is that, um, solar power is awesome. So done correctly, I don't know anyone uh, who's ever installed a solar system or a solar storage system that's regretted it. Now, um, to be clear, uh, the projects aren't always done correctly. Um, yeah. And so you, you got to sort of normalize for that and you got to find you know, good companies and good partners to work with. Um, but it's an amazing technology and it benefits um, you know, end use customers, uh, communities um, in, in really material ways. Um, look, I think, you know, one of the things that's really interesting about how this industry is evolving right now is it tends to be evolving on like a state to state basis. Right. Um, and a lot of this, unfortunately, has to do with politics, which it shouldn't, um, but it does. And so, you know, problematically in the middle of the country, right outside Kansas City, um, that's not like a great area for um, solar. And so finding, you know, good companies and good partners to work with is really hard. Um, if you're in California where I live or you're on in the Northeast um, or you're in states like, you know, Colorado or Minnesota that have really progressive policy towards this stuff, um, then there are a lot of good partners to work with. Right. And so I think ultimately, um, you know, energy has and always will be um, a public private partnership. Right. And that means that the government uh, plays a big role in deciding uh, which technologies are going to power the electric grid. Um, that's the case today. It'll be the case tomorrow. There's a bunch of reasons for that. The most easiest to understand is there are a lot of national security implications around, um, energy and how we procure energy and how we make sure our energy grid is reliable and protected, um, that require government, uh, intervention and interaction. Um, and so, you know, in order to really make this stuff work and, and build the best energy grid that we're capable of building, um, it really is a public private partnership. And, in certain areas of the country, you've seen that work really well. And in other areas of the country, it's not working well at all. Yeah, you mentioned Kansas. And yeah, there are that's that's the issue. I really have there's not a the the amount of vendors or people and then and then honestly, there's it's hard to differentiate a lot of the stuff that comes, you know, that's there. You know, I, I've got everything from Tesla to who knows. Um, it's, what's interesting with renewable stuff is Kansas is actually the number two state in the country for wind. Yep. And if you've ever been to Western Kansas, you know that the wind just blows and, and you can't drive to Colorado now without seeing like massive amounts of windmills and stuff like that. It does blow my mind when people complain about windmills. They're like, Oh, they're nice. I think they look pretty cool, man. You know, like, I don't know, but you know, it's the same thing, you know, with solar and, and stuff like that. Now for you, what is the, is the biggest, problem or issue or hurdle that you have to climb over related to laws and legislation? So there's a lot, right? Um, I, I think, you know, um, to begin with, right, what I would say is that, you know, if we lived in an alternative universe, I think climate change could be um, an issue that really unites all of us together, right? Because 
as we're continuing to see as this plays out, um, climate change doesn't discriminate, right? And so, you know, it impacts people in California, it impacts people in Hawaii, but it also impacts people in Kansas and Mississippi and Missouri, oh, yes. right? And um, we have the solutions to fix it. And so really what the challenge is right now is how do we deploy those solutions as quickly as possible? And so, look, I think there are two real barriers to doing that today. Um, one is state policy, right? And so if you think about like a company like ours in a state like, um, you know, Kansas is actually not the worst offender, but let's just use like Alabama as an example, because Alabama is not friendly for people like me, right? Um, you know, it's hard enough to build a business when you have a business like this, when you have um, government support, right? Um, it's very technically challenging. It's very financially challenging. Um, there's uh, big numbers associated with doing this kind of stuff. It's, it's hard to do. Um, but when you're doing that and, you know, you're actively running into resistance at every level of the state government, uh, it's also not fun. And people don't want to do it. And that's why um, I think a lot of states are falling behind in terms of, you know, access to clean energy. Um, so that's the first thing, right? I think, I think there, you know, there, there has to be more support for renewable energy, for clean energy. It just makes uh, economic sense on top of everything else. And, you know, look, I think one of the things we've seen over the past 18 months is that a lot of the investment in clean energy manufacturing is being disproportionately um, sent to red states, right? So, you know, we're building battery factories in West Virginia and Tennessee and Kentucky and Georgia and places like that. And so hopefully, like over the next decade or so, that kind of political dynamic um, eases up because, you know, we would love to work in all those states, but it's it's really hard to do so when you don't feel welcome, right? Um, yeah. And so that's the first thing. And then um, the second thing is, um, the business model that runs the utility grid is a regulated monopoly model, right? So um, for those listeners who aren't uh, super in tune with how the electricity grid works, um, utilities have a monopoly authority over the electricity grid. And what that means is that uh, wherever you live in the country, the only entity that is allowed to run wires uh, from across property lines is the utility. There is no competition. It's the utility or it's nothing. And um, that creates a system where there are a lot of perverse incentives. Um, and the incentives aren't always to build uh, the cheapest, cleanest, most reliable system for uh, constituents, right? Ratepayers is what we call them in our industry. Um, and so trying to figure out how you know, new innovative um, companies uh, like ours can interact with utilities in meaningful ways um, is, I think, probably the second biggest challenge. Um, I think that's changing a lot as utilities start to see this not as a threat to their business, but as a way to grow their business over time. Um, I think at the highest level, if you think, how do we solve climate change? The answer to that is electrify everything. And uh, that means transportation and heating and cooking and industrial processes. And that means that uh, we need more electricity and utilities make money when they produce more electricity. So um, I think that that dynamic is starting to head in the right direction. Um, but those tend to be the two biggest barriers to proliferation for businesses like ours, um, state policy and utility governance. 
That's interesting. You know, in regards to the energy grid, I had a guess it's been several years at this point. Uh, this company out of, I can't, I, I, I'm at a loss for the name of the company, but we even went and visited them in San Francisco when we went to TechCrunch, but they had an AI solution that was helping basically solve energy grid problems. You know, San Francisco is pretty progressive and was in the pro and, and they were using this and they have a lot of electric vehicles. The problem is, is the, if everyone switched to electric right now, to the best of my understanding, the grid wouldn't really support that. Correct. Um, and so like that, but that, but that's a massive blocker in regards to being able to make change on a large scale basis. Are there things going on to fix that? Yeah. Um, so the good news for everyone listening is um, from like an innovation standpoint, um, we have like 85% of the problem solved, right? So okay. with existing technology, and this is just to be clear for everyone, like this is a crazy technical challenge. So if you want to do like really, really difficult um, technical work, being in the clean energy space is an awesome place to do it because the magnitude of some of these problems is mind boggling. Um, with that said, you know, today we have about 85% of the answer, right? Um, and really what the problem is right now is deploying that technology onto our existing grid. Um, so as an example, right, like one of the biggest barriers to decarbonization right now is the lack of transmission lines. Um, we know how to build transmission lines. We know how to operate those transmission lines with, in a lot of cases, AI-enabled software um, that allows them to run really efficiently and economically. We can't build transmission lines. Um, there are, you know, the red tape and the regulatory issues and all that type of stuff prevent us from doing what we need to do. So it's not a technical problem. It's a, a regulatory problem in, in, in that sense. Um, and that type of situation manifests itself sort of at all levels of uh, the electricity grid, but the in the energy industry overall. Um, we need to be able to move faster from a regulatory and a policy standpoint in order to enable the deployment of these types of technologies. And um, then there's like the 15%. So there's kind of two jobs in the clean energy industry. One is deployment. That's what most of us work on. So my company, um, for the most part, doesn't build new technology. On the software side, uh, we do some. But um, for the most part, we're not a technology company in the sense that we're not you know, building a new type of generator, or a new type of battery or anything like that. Um, what we're good at is deploying those assets and figuring out how to pay for them and monetize them over time and deliver the best value proposition to the end use customer. So as an example, right, like you want solar panels on your farm. Um, if I worked in Kansas, I'd be the guy to call, right? And I would figure out how to give you the best system at the best price, you know, figure out how to deal with all the incentives, figure out how to make sure you have a good installation contract or all that type of stuff. Um, and you would pay me a rate less than you're paying the utility to be able to do that. Um, and so that's kind of what we do as an organization. Um, but then there's like the 15% problem, right? Which is ultimately we want to be able to get to 100% decarbonization we have 85% of the tech stack worked out. That other 15% is gnarly, right? So there's all sorts of stuff, right? Like what, what's in there? I mean, what's so the, what's think, the, think about things like, um, they tend to be like really big bets, right? So, um, one solution to solve that 15% problem is fusion nuclear energy, right? So you have a bunch of raising billions of dollars, yeah. um, to try to figure out how to, you know, run atoms into each other and create new, new, new Are you talking just regular fusion or cold fusion? So this is, this is uh, what, what's typically referred to as like regular fusion in, in okay. the nuclear industry. Cold fusion is like a slightly different um, Well, that doesn't exist. That doesn't exist. Yeah, right. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's, bill there's billions, of, billions of dollars being invested in that kind of stuff. 
Um, things like different kinds of batteries, right? So most all batteries deployed in the U.S. today are um, lithium-ion batteries, but yeah. there are other chemistries like uh, iron, air, and nickel, hydrogen, and all these other different kinds of chemistries that are predominantly being driven by startups um, who are experimenting with, with those types of things. And the goal of all those companies um, is to uh, try to figure out how to address that 15% that we don't have figured out. Um, which if anyone can figure that out is going to be really, really lucrative. Um, but look, I think, you know, the overarching message for everyone is like, let's not like get distracted. We got to get to 85% and then we could figure out the 15% maybe over the next decade or so. Um, but the most important thing right now is we got to move and we got to move fast if, if we're going to, you know, defend ourselves as, as well as we possibly can against the impacts of climate. Yeah, you know, you you talk about the struggle is real with the batteries. So I ha I bought a kit that has 400 watt solar panels. It has a power inverter and some other stuff. And I'm 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 going to work on it with my kids to build uh, pumps and aerators in my pond, right? Yeah. Farm, which I don't want to just run on it. To me, like I'm, we're trying to like revitalize and bring life back to like certain things. Very but doing cool. it in the same way, and I'm trying to teach my kids about it. Here's the problem. That freaking battery that I need to charge weighs as much as both of my kids put together. It's 135 oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. pounds. And like, and from and that's tough. And honestly, I've had this kit for about two weeks now. And I had to, I would the other day it was about to rain and I was dragging the battery into the garage. And I I mean, I was thinking, I was like, because you know, I'm, I'm thinking a lot about this kind of stuff, and I want to be a parent that teaches my kids that this is the way of the future. But man, that some of that stuff's kind of hard to manage, you know. Like, it, you know, like is there is there a world where I'm not going to have to drag that battery around? Because, like you said, that's for four relatively small panels to and to save some of the power. Like, I can only imagine what it needs to be for a house. Yeah, man. So, so look, I think, I think that's like a very keen insight and, and something that um, not only exists at the, you know, individual level, but basically applies to everything. Right. So um, make no mistake, right? Like we have 85% of the technology we need to solve this problem. Solving this problem is so hard. It's by yeah. far the hardest thing I've ever tried to wrap my mind around. And um, I, I think that's like very consistent when you talk to clean tech founders or, you know, environmental activists or, or legislators or, or people who really work on this issue. It's really, really hard. Um, look, here's the way I think about it, right? Um, I think in the 1960s, when we were thinking about like sending a man to the moon, um, one of the things JFK said is, is we do these things not because they are, are easy, but because they are hard. And so here's kind of the, the way I apply that to this. Um, if we can't solve climate change in America, we can't solve climate change. That's just like the reality of the situation. There are a lot of other countries that are trying, right? Like a bunch of European Union countries and a bunch of Asian countries and stuff like that. It's either going to happen here or it's not going to happen, right? Like this is the one place in the world where we have the right mix of academic expertise and capital markets expertise and like this innovative startup culture and the right incentives and the right group of people to be able to pull this off. And if we can do this in America, then we can export those learnings to the rest of the world. And we as a civilization have a shot at fixing this and leaving the world a better place than our than we inherited for our kids which look i've been all over all around the world and the one thing i think binds humanity together is we all want our kids to have a better life than we did um and so if that's what we all want right and and by the way that's true like 
I have some very, very, very conservative friends who live in the middle of Texas and like own a bunch of guns. And I have some very, very liberal friends who live in, you know, coastal elite cities. Um, and the thing that they all want is they want the kids to have a better life than uh, they had. And so uh, if that's what we want, um, we got to get our shit together and we got to do hard things. And um, yeah, like that, that's going to be hard at the individual level. It's going to be hard at the corporate level. It's going to be hard at the state level. It's going to be hard at the federal level. Um, but I don't know, right? Like America is America because we do hard things, right? Like none of the stuff that, that we've accomplished that we're proud of as a nation is easy. Um, and in this particular circumstance, uh, if we don't do it, no one else is going to. And so that's generally how, how, how I think about that dynamic. Speaking of doing hard things, finding expert software developers does not have to be difficult, especially when you go to fullscale.io, where you can build a software team quickly and affordably. Use the Fullscale platform to define your technical needs and see what available developers, testers, and leaders are ready to join your team. Go to fullscale.io to learn more. I want to talk about incentives for a second and finance and a couple of them. And I'm not trying to counterpoint. You, you said the resources aren't always there. Well, you found them. You guys have raised according to my notes, over $500 million in investment. Congratulations. Um, now, that there's a, a money that is definitely pouring into this. And with that, like part of like, okay, so if I install a solar system on my house, which by the way, I, can, I have two homes. I, the one I'm at right now, I, I'm not even allowed to do that, which bothers me. Like that bothers me a lot. Like, why not? You yep. know, and I, I just literally can't do it. Not only my HOA prohibits it, and so is the city that I live in, which is stupid, right? Like, who cares? It's solar panel on a roof. But, you know, for those of you listening, the government will pay for 30% of your solar installation on, on a home level. And think about it, that's a third off. And that's a tax credit, not a deduction. So let me explain. And by the way, I don't give financial advice, so this is not what this is. But a tax credit is literally whatever you pay in taxes, they will credit towards it. So what I bought it, we had a Tesla delivered earlier or last year. I got a $7,500 tax credit, meaning I had a tax bill and then $7,500 came off of it. There is money out there on the consumer level that I feel that people just don't, either they don't know it exists I, I mean, 30% off of something like that. And look, now that might, I think one of the issues that comes up with that is maybe some people know about it, but installing a solar system on a house that you think you might move out of in a couple of years doesn't make sense. But, yeah. but, but it does kind of, because there's a lot of people that would probably be attracted to buying that home. The energy costs aren't going to go down. I don't think, I mean, I, I don't know. The needs seem to go up. Inflation goes up, yeah, it all goes up. Definitely not going down. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, but, but like, as far as like incentives and, and things like that, that are making it easier, I'm seeing them begin to form. Um, now back to the capital thing. Um, you know, is it easier to raise money in, in these green energy spaces than it, ha than it has been in the past? Like, where's that trending? Yeah. Um, so from a, from a, um, from a fundraising standpoint, definitely. Right. Um, you know, I think, um, Really, uh, you know, 2020, 2021, there started to be a bump in VC specific investment in the clean tech space. Um, what, what I think most VCs refer to as climate tech. Um, that trailed off in 2022 with interest rates and, you know, everything that was going on in the macro economy. 
Now I think it's making a pretty strong comeback, but like compared to 10 years ago, it's a night and day difference. And if you're a climate tech entrepreneur, there are a lot of uh, venture capitalists, early stage investors, angels, folks like that, that will want to have a conversation with you. Um, but look, the, the, the second part of this ties into this, right? The economics of these businesses are mind bogglingly complicated, right? And so it is very true that if you install a solar system, almost anywhere in the United States, you're eligible for a 30% tax credit. In fact, um, there's also adders in the Inflation Reduction Act that make you eligible for up to 60% of that system to be refunded in the form of a tax credit, mm. um, depending on where you're located and what kind of solar panels you're using and things like that. Um, but figuring out how to get that system installed and take advantage of that tax credit, right? A lot of people don't have a tax base um, that they can actually apply that tax credit against, things like that. Um, the, the, like actually doing it is, is a lot easier than it is to write it, is, is I guess the fundamental problem. And so what, you, what, what has really emerged in the clean tax sector, and we're kind of part of this group, um, is an asset uh, class of companies that are generally referred to as energy as a service company. And fundamentally, what we do is we go to end use customers. We work in the commercial space, but there are a lot of companies that do this in the residential space as well. Um, and we basically say, look, like we're going to take care of all this stuff for you, right? Currently, you pay $80 a month for your utility for electricity. We're going to take care of all this stuff. And after that, you're going to pay $75 a month for electricity. And we'll take essentially all the performance risk on the system. We'll take care of all the tax credits for you. We'll take care of all the state incentives, the local incentives, the permitting, all that kind of stuff for you. Um, and you don't have to worry about it, right? Um, and so that, that I think is really the business model that's going to win the day because all this stuff is really, really complicated and you don't want to be going at it yourself in most cases, right? Like there are a lot of hobbyists out there that just kind of like this stuff and like figuring it out and all the better to them. You definitely pay somewhat of a premium to have someone do all the work for you, right? And so if you could do it yourself, you can theoretically achieve better economics than, than you can if you have a third party doing it on your behalf. Um, but I think that's really you know, the, the business model that's going to prevail um, in the clean tax sector or, over the next decade or so. You're just going to have a lot of people that want to do this stuff but don't know how to do this stuff. And so you have to have an intermediary that can kind of bring it all together for you. Um, and then look, to your second point, um, every piece of evidence out there shows that equipping residential and commercial real estate with sustainable energy systems makes the value of your property go up. And so if yeah. anyone listening to this is thinking that they don't want to install solar on their roof or a battery in their garage because they think it's going to hurt the value of their property um, when they sell their house in a few years, um, all I can tell you is there's no evidence to suggest that's the case um, and, and people should look into it more. Yeah, I think it's more that, the, you know, you look at the expense of, of, and I know you're on a different side of this, but like on the residential side, I mean, it's a pretty big investment, you know, I oh, mean, it's, sure, yeah. it's, I mean, it's going to take you seven to 10 years to recover that cost due to lack of, of, of bills that you would get in. And then you're legit you know, getting a return from that. And I think that's what, but yeah, I mean, like, yeah, and, and, and then, and then sometimes it's just, the, this is the fact, like, I can't even do it at my house here. And by the way, you know, what really kills me with that, my house aligns perfectly with the path of the sun in my backyard so much that it's problematic. I mean, literally yeah. like it like ruins decks and sizzles yards and stuff like that. I mean, it's like, I could probably fuel three houses with a little bit of that, but why won't you let me do it? 
You know, that yeah. seems to me like that's back to that legislative red tape. It's like, come on. I mean, that, that makes it completely impossible. For sure. So, so um, two really important things that you brought up there. The first thing, um, so one of the reasons you want to work with an energy as a service company is because they'll make the investment for you. So in the residential sector, right, there's two big national companies. I, I like them both. One's called Sunrun. Another one's called Sonova. Um, if you own a home, what you do is you call up one of those companies and you say, I want solar panels on my roof. And they come out and they do an inspection and they give you a price. And then if you say yes to that price, they install the system on their balance sheet and then they charge you for the electrons that that system produces. And so what actually happens is you have to invest no capital up front mm. and you save money on that first bill. And so for most people in the country, and this varies by region, it varies, you know, there's all sorts of nuances to this, but for most people in the country, you can get a solar system installed on your roof at no cost to you and it will save you money the first month that you utilize it. Um, and so economics shouldn't really be a barrier. Um, and now we're, and now we're getting creative, right? Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah there, like there are exceptions to that rule, but that's, that's like generally correct. And then look, I think, you know, when it comes to like homeowners associations and local governments and all this type of stuff, like, yeah, it's a big problem. Right. And, um, that's like one area where I think the only solutions are local solutions. Right. And so like, if your homeowners association has a policy that you can't put solar on your roof, like that's a stupid fucking policy. Yeah. And somebody should go to the homeowners association yeah. and be like, this is dumb. Like, why do we have this policy? Somebody explain. Um, I mean, look, this is true. The CEO of our company um, just got, just put uh, solar on his house a few years ago and he had to fight a three-year battle with his town to overturn an ordinance about having solar panels on the side of your house that faces the street. Um, and that's in like a, I don't know, very, uh, you know, forward thinking area of New York, right? Right outside New York City. And, and so like this stuff exists um, with respect to local permits and local codes uh, all over the place. And it's just dumb, right? And so, you know, part of the challenge here is that it's going to be very, very difficult to achieve the goals that you know, at a national level, we need to achieve over the next decade or two um, with a lot of dumb local policy in place. And really, the only way to change local policy is for the constituents of that town or that county to go to their um, representatives and demand action. And that happens at the HOA side of things. And that happens at the local jurisdiction side of things. Um, but look, it's hard, right? Like all of us are busy and going to a homeowners association meeting and making a big thing about solar you know, takes time and, and that kind of stuff. And I think that's like one of the biggest reasons that some of these stupid policies continue to exist. It's just like no one has the time to deal with them. Um, and so we're either going to make time or we're not. You know, I, I got to say on a personal level, as I generate power and I fill up my little batteries and, you know, I, I you know, I've got a, like a, a pretty big one, you know, it's got about 4,000 watts. I can charge yeah. some stuff with it. It's kind of fun. It's kind of fun. Like, I mean, I, I, and maybe I'm just a geek when it comes to that stuff, but I like enjoy collecting the power of the sun and charging different things with it. So try it out, folks. There's a lot of stuff out there. Okay. So, no, for sure. and, and just one, one thing before we move on, and, and I think this is really important, right? Like, um, one of the things that amazes me, right, is if you think about how important electricity is in our lives, right? Oh, like, yeah. I can't get through a day without electricity. It's just not like it, it would, it would be terrible. Right. 
every time I have a blackout, like I freak out, my kids freak out, my wife freaks out. And that's true, like pretty much across the country. And so you think about like how important electricity is in our society and how few people take the time to understand anything about it. And it's like a very weird dichotomy, right? And so look, I think like that's one of the things that I always encourage people to do is like most of this stuff isn't rocket science, right? They're like you get down to the very granular or level of electricity and it kind of is rocket science. But understanding the basics, like, I don't know, spend 30 minutes on YouTube and you'll get it. And I think once once you start to get into this, you realize like this is really cool stuff and it's fun and um, you can really, you know, understand how your home operates, how your vehicle operates, um, you know, how you can do that in the best way for yourself and the planet and all these things. I think most people who go down that road end up like enjoying it and, and get a lot out of it. Yeah. Now, you know, we're, when we're talking about like future innovation and things related to clean energy, there's a lot of renewable energy targets and mandates that uh, are set in the future, you know, just meaning like there's a, a big push to get away from fuel combustion engines and other stuff like that. Now, what what I'm hearing with the red tape and the problems getting in the way and then these mandates, that doesn't seem to jive, right? There seems to be a disconnect there. The As you mentioned, like capitalism and, and startups and innovation um, usually find ways to solve that. What kind of interesting innovations that aren't really mainstream now do you think we'll see over the next 10 years that, that will fascinate all of us? Yeah, so there are a lot, right? Um, so um, look, I, I think generally speaking, right, like we'll go back to sort of the framework of we have 85% of this figured out, right? So when I say we have 85% of this figured out, right, um, what that really means is we know how solar works, we know how wind works, we know how batteries work, one kind of battery, lithium ion batteries work, we know how hydro works, and we know how nuclear works, and you combine all those things together, and that solves about 85% of the decarbonization problem in the United States. So where all the innovation and excitement is from like a technical standpoint is addressing that 15%, and there are a few areas that I think are particularly interesting. So the first one is nuclear. Um, so there are two types of nuclear reactors. There are fission reactors, which is what every nuclear plant in the United States is today. Um, we haven't built one. We just commissioned the first one in like 30 years. So we just commissioned one in in Georgia. I think it was like, uh, 5,000% over budget and like 10 years later than it was supposed to be. But part of the problem is we forgot how to build nuclear plants in the United States. Like we literally don't have the workforce that knows how to build it. Um, and so trying to figure out how we can deploy fission reactors in new and novel and cost-effective ways is like a business model challenge that a lot of really smart people are talking about. Inside the fission category, there's a category of small modular reactors. So if you think about how every aircraft carrier the U.S. Navy operates runs, it's with a small modular reactor. And so the idea is why can't we pull those out of aircraft carriers and use them to power towns and um, the technology there exists. It's a regulatory issue. And I don't know, there are some legitimate concerns about having nuclear reactors close to population centers. Um, so small modular reactors is, is one on the fission side. Um, fusion is the holy grail of clean energy. So if we can figure out how to uh, produce uh, net positive fusion reactions, so fusion reactions that produce more electricity or more energy than they consume, um, then essentially what that means is we can turn seawater into power and the, cl the climate change problem is fixed. 
Um, you know, the joke about fusion is that, you know, fusion has been 10 years away for the last hundred years. Um, and, um, and, you know, there's some really innovative companies in the space and some really forward thinking investors who are investing a lot of capital in fusion companies right now. And I'm not smart enough about nuclear physics to know like what the timeline for commercial viability is at this point. But I know there's a lot more optimism in the space than, than there is, than, than there was a while ago. So that's the second area. Um, third area is battery chemistries, right? So I briefly touched on this before. So lithium ion does like a very good job at what's called short duration storage. So storing energy for hours. If we want to really optimize solar and wind, we have to be able to store energy for days and weeks and months. And there's a ton of activity in the startup space um, with companies focused on trying to figure out new and novel chemistries for doing that. If anyone wants, like my favorite company doing that is a company called Form Energy, um, which is working on an iron air battery that can store energy for months. Um, and there's a bunch of other like really, really cool companies in space that are doing that. So battery chemistries are number three. And then the fourth thing is software, right? So if you think about the grid of the future, um, it's going to be a lot more distributed than it is today, right? So quick history lesson on power, um, how we've always built uh, the electricity grid is we build really, really big power plants, and then we connect them to your home or your office with this really complex set of wires. What this is going to look like in the future is it's going to be a two-way street. So most buildings are going to have uh, solar and batteries, and there's going to be wind sited locally, and it really creates a much more distributed infrastructure, which is good for a lot of different reasons. Um, one of the biggest barriers to that proliferation is software challenges, right? So as a grid operator, you have to be able to balance supply and demand in real time. That's easy to do when you have eight power plants. It's harder to do when you have 8 million power plants. Um, and so there's a real big software opportunity in terms of like what they generally call um, distributed energy resource management systems or DERMs. Um, and some really, really cool companies uh, that, are, that are working in that space right now. Um, and so those, those would be like kind of the four areas I would highlight. Oh, and, th and then the last thing, um, this is like more of a sort of a niche thing, but geothermal uh, energy is like really, really exciting. Um, one, one, of my, one of my friends uh, runs a company called Fervo Energy, which is one of the companies I'm like most bullish on in the space. And, um, you know, that, that's another type of energy generation technology that has like a ton of potential. We haven't quite figured out commercialization yet, but I, I, I think um, people are getting pretty close. Yeah, there's a there's quite a few. Uh, you know, you look at there's a lot of rural properties around where I live that are geothermal, meaning they're just capturing the heat. Yeah, and the energy that 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 is naturally right below your feet. And yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, you know, on the software side of things, which is where I spend most of my my days and time working, there are you are right. There is a lot of interesting innovation that the startup that we went and visited out in San Francisco. I mean, they, that was an AI solution that was essentially. Um, you could help your entire city understand like, okay, so you have peak times and, and the middle yep. of the night is not the peak time. That's when all the lights are off for most people and stuff like that. So there are times when it's cheaper to charge and there's times when you need to charge because if you plug too many things in, it's going to make something go pop, you know, and you hear about like the rolling blockouts now. I'll tell you what, so you talk about the difference in there. So having 300 employees in the Philippines where they call them brownouts, um, yep. I mean, it's, it's a real thing. Like it's a rolling thing. And, and 
you know, like it's not uncommon. So we actually have to have our office and everything set up in a place that has like backup generators in the building. So we don't end up with massive disruption. And, and that's, that's a cause that's overloading of something that's just Mm -hmm. essentially shoving too much stuff into one spot. And, you know, and, and it's really interesting as well. I think there's a huge level of commercial viability. So I have a friend here in Kansas city who restored an old arena Right. Like we yeah. had the old arena and cool. they built a new one. And then what do you do with the old one? And he bought it for a dollar. Right. Cause it was going to get torn down. It was yeah, falling yeah, yeah. apart. Yeah. He spent $50 million rebuilding it. And then his biggest problem was that he, that he didn't really, well, he thought about, but it was always bothering him was, man, it takes a lot of energy to, to cool the place. Yeah. In the summer. And, you know, and he was, you know, I'm sitting there with him and he was, you know, messing around with some application that like train had train meaning T-R-A-N-E, the yeah, yeah. conditioner maker. And, you know, I'm sitting there thinking, I'm like, you know, like, cause I mean, at, at home, even something as simple as like a nest thermometer may adjust and change that stuff for you. But if you, you know, you look at just these little instances and there's not a silver bullet solution that fixes all of this, but some of these, these, Software solutions are great for us as consumers too, because they put more money in your pocket and they're not just being doing wasteful things, you know, the flip side. So no, I, I, by the way, dude, if you want to cool an arena for an event you have tomorrow, you have to turn the air on for that today. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Like and, how, yeah. It's not just like, Hey, turn it down a couple degrees. And, and if you don't do it, you end up with a bunch of people that never want to come back to your place. Cause it's 97 degrees in there. No, for sure. Right. And, and, and the thing that's like fascinating about this, if you like math, like this is uh, an awesome area to work in, right? Because um, this is essentially multivariable calculus, right? How, how you think about optimizing the cooling system for an arena, right? Or how you think about optimizing uh, the charging network for EVs in a community, right? You're trying to essentially optimize across all these different parameters. And um it's really, really fascinating the, th- the things that a lot of software entrepreneurs in the space are coming up with. Um, and, and like things like that, right, where they'll tell you, like, you want to start cooling the arena like this minute, right? And you want to run it for 14 minutes. And then you want to back it off for 12 minutes. And then you want to ramp it up again for 14 minutes. And it seems like, how can this possibly matter? And then you save 30 grand, right? Yeah. Like oh, yeah. it's, th- this stuff happens all the time. And so, you know, what we're really seeing right now is... Um, the, the complexity of that math and the ability to solve complex math challenges in the energy space is being like turbocharged by AI, right? Oh, yeah. And so we're able to do because stuff Because most people like me didn't make it to or through multivariable calculus. Yeah, and, and, and so now we have robots that, that yeah. do it for us, right? And, and, um, and that, that, is, that is accelerating the pace of change in the space already. And I think like we're you know, just on the frontier of that really starting to make an impact. So that's going to be like the really interesting part of the next like decade or two is, you know, we think we have a plan based on the technology that exists today, but we also have this like underlying variable of AI coming that can potentially supercharge the timeline for deploying and optimizing all that stuff. And um, again, right, like I don't think anyone knows the answer or how exactly that's going to work. I think there are a lot of companies that are trying to figure out how to best utilize that Right now, we're in that group of companies, um, but the potential is fascinating. 
Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and a lot, a lot. Well, a lot of software. Once again, today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by FullScale.io, where we have the people, the platform, and the processes to help you build a team of experts that work only for you. We got a lot of smart people doing a lot of smart things. So come challenge us. Go to FullScale.io. Once again, with me today. Tim Hayde of Scale Microgrids. And man, thanks for doing what you're doing. I really appreciate it. It's, you know, someone's got to tackle these tough challenges. Um, and, and, you know, I, I appreciate the spirit and vigor. Uh, is there anything you'd like to say to everyone on the way out, Tim? Well, yeah, I guess I guess two things. Um, uh, the first thing is uh, you have the best transitions uh, that I've ever heard. <laughs> So yeah. I think FullScale.io told me that live this week. So thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. FullScale.io yeah. has a great yeah. partner, um, and I, and I will definitely check them well, out. I own the company, so that might help. Yeah, perfect, yeah. perfect. Yeah. But the transitions were fantastic. Look, I think the second thing is if you're an entrepreneur um, listening to this who's looking for something to do or a tough challenge to tackle, I promise you that Climate Tech has uh, opportunities for you. Um, this is the fastest growing sector of the economy. Um, like many, many world leaders have saw, have called uh, solving climate change the greatest economic opportunity in the history of mankind. Um, and we need a lot of help. Like things aren't going great so far. Um, and so uh, if you're looking for something challenging to do, uh, this is an awesome place to find it. And uh, if you do it right, it can be both good for the planet and good for your wallet. And um, I hope more people come in and, and test themselves. Um, but thanks so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. And uh Hopefully I can come back soon and, and give you guys a progress report. Yeah, I'm looking for, I'm going to hit stop so I can learn about that 60% tax credit now. Amen, man. Yeah. So you got to, you got to stack them, right? So there's, um, there's three adders, right? To the, to the um, ITC. The first is what's called energy community. So that like you're either in or you're out. There's certain communities in the country that are losing fossil fuel jobs. And if you, live in one of those communities, you get a 10% adder. So that takes you to 40%. Um, the second adder is uh, what's called the domestic content adder. So that means that if you use solar panels that are made in the US, then you get another 10% uh, tax credit. So that takes you to 50%. And then the final one is a low and moderate income one, which you won't qualify for. So you're kind of capped out at 50%. But you know, for folks that, that are, um, you know, I think the threshold's like $75,000 a year of household income. For people who are below that, then you get another 10% on top of that. So yeah, we're working with businesses right now that are do, that are getting 60% reimbursed and a lot of residential homeowners are doing the same thing. I left that record on because I felt everyone needed to hear that. But now I'm going to say man. stop and I'll catch up with you down the road. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.